Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome back, everybody. This is the start of our fourth season on Voice America, and I am so thankful and grateful you're listening in. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas holiday season and a great new year ahead. For first-time listeners out there, I am Dr. Connie Mariano. I'm the former White House physician. I am an internal medicine physician in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm the author of the book, The White House Doctor, My Patients for President, which was my memoir. This is my act of love. I love doing this show every month on Voice America Empowerment Channel. This show is my therapy to bring about positive attitude and practical knowledge to all my listeners. And in a lot of ways, I think it's my antidote to the very toxic radio and television airwaves that a lot of times we're subjected to where people are listening and and, and then everyone's talking at once and yelling and there's conflict. And that type of stuff really elevates my blood pressure and I really find that counterproductive. So this, in a lot of ways, is my radio therapy for the next hour, and I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that you two will benefit from this. So I start off with my usual honorable mentions. Some people call them shout-outs. I don't like to shout because if I have to shout, I get angry, and I'm not into that. That's If you want to see that, just turn on the TV or listen to the usual radio. But these are my honorable mentions. First of all, I want to do an honorable mention to the Be Kind People Project in Arizona. And the founder is Marsha Meyer, and she founded this organization, this program that consists of a dance movement group that goes to different high schools and promotes kindness to the students. And I think kindness, I don't think it's, people said that one time there was the the book about random acts of kindness, and I really believe in deliberately being kind to people and it being proactively being kind, because I think nowadays we can use a little bit more kindness in this world. So I want to thank Marsha and the people in the Be Kind People dance team for their enthusiasm and dedication to our students who really are learning how to be kind to each other. This has also been sort of a somber time as as we ended 2018 and beginning a new year with farewells. Uh, One of my dear friends, Fred, passed away early this week. He made it to 81. My best wishes to his wife and condolences to them. And Fred was an amazing person, lots of energy, good-hearted guy who is actually looking forward to passing away. And he's probably dancing in heaven right now. To my friend Susan, who will be buried this weekend in Indiana to her family. Her husband Rick's birthday is today. And then this past weekend, I was in San Jose, California, attending the funeral of a very close friend's mother who I've known since I was five years of age and that's uh, my friend Vicki, her mother, Juanita, who passed away. She made it to 92 and a half years of age and they laid her to rest in San Jose. I also look at birthdays and there are a lot of birthdays this month. A lot of my dear friends have birthdays in January. Dr. Mac McGuire is one of my oldest friends. We go back to 1981 when we were interns in San Diego. He has a birthday January 20th. Also, my friend Katina Patrickwin, who is a photographer, who was one of our on a previous show, shares that January 20th birthday. 
Dr. Seema Mohan has a birthday January 26th, as, as well as Mark Wetterow, Ed Bolke, share that birthday. Herm Channon, who turns 91 on January 27th, happy birthday to Herm. And birthday month, January, is my birthday month. I don't just celebrate the day or the week. I celebrate the whole month with lots of fun events. You can ask my office and my family about that. I turned 64 at the end of this month. I, I don't hide my age. I'm very proud of that. And I really believe I'm not slowing down. I'm actually speeding up just by what you hear about turning 64. And I was thinking about turning 64, and I think of that old Beatles song, uh, when I'm 64, and I pulled up the lyrics. I want to share you with that. I cannot sing. I don't want to do that to you because it's not about toxicity on the air, so I'm not going to sing. But let me share you those lyrics about that song that the Beatles wrote and released in 1967. And it begins, when I get older, losing my hair. And I think of that because I just had a patient call me from my practice today about her hair loss. And that's something we experience as we get older. So when I get older, losing my hair many years from now, will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. If I'd been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? You'll be older too, and if you say the word, I could stay with you. I could be handy mending a fuse when your lights have gone. You can knit a sweater by the fireside. Sunday mornings go for a ride. Doing the garden, digging the weeds, who could ask for more? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? And I pondered those lyrics and I researched it because Paul McCartney, Beatle Paul McCartney, wrote that in 1967. And it was about the song. It was sung by a young man to his lover and about his plans of growing old together. And really the theme is about aging. And it was one of the first songs McCartney wrote. And McCartney was 16 when he wrote it. And it was on the Beatles set list in their early days as a song to perform in case their amplifiers broke down or the electricity went off. And lyricist George Martin and Mark Lewison speculated that McCartney may have thought of the song when he when the recording began for Sgt. Pepper in December of 1966. It was at that time that Paul McCartney's father turned 64. And I look back, and you know, he was 16 at the time he wrote that. Today, Sir Paul McCartney is 76 years old, and he's still touring. And one of the things they talk about in the history is that when he turned 64, he had a surprise birthday party, and his children gathered and recorded that song. They switched the lyrics around to make it personal for him. And one of the behind the scenes was that he was secretly divorced from his second wife at the time, so he didn't want people to know that. But I look back at what he had written back in 67 about being 64 and how old that sounds, that losing your hair, obviously a lot of us do that. But the little things, it's like, my goodness, it's like, come bury me because what kind of life is that? It's so sad. And yet he himself, Paul McCartney at 76, is still traveling around the world singing and dancing on stage and defying what we thought was the stereotype of aging at 64. So I think in a lot of ways, as I turn 64, I'm totally not doing that. I'm not digging in the garden. You know, will you still feed me? Well, heck, I feed myself. I, I'm able to go out to dinner and take care of that. But I'm, I'm really of the belief, as I look back at the years, that every day, every year, every birthday is a gift, truly is a gift. And as I continue into my 64th year of life and I practice medicine, I'm into my 38th year of medicine, 
I see this journey as I age with my patients and I witness the decline and demise as I've seen the last year of many of my patients. So I, it's a time of reflection, especially having a birthday the first of the month. It makes me look ahead in addition to looking back, but I like looking forward and I look at anticipation of what's in store this year. How can I make it a productive, healthy, happy year for me and for those people in my life? What do I need to do? What kind of habits do I need to adopt? And what kind of not so, ha not so healthy habits do I need to get rid of? So as I start the year and I start this fourth season, I start with a special theme in mind and that is of how to have a long, good life. And not just a long, good life in general, but one in which you try to enjoy good health as long as possible. How can I extend that? And one of the things I've always been fascinated with is people who live a long life, and they live it well. In my own life, I've seen my father who passed away last year. We buried him on his 94th birthday. And it was not until he was about 92 that we started seeing progressive dementia, and the time of his disability where he continued to decline was about a two-year period. So that time of his healthy period lasted for 92 years, and then the last two, he declined. His brother is 93 now. He's still active. He lives in California, still on Facebook, so I see how active he is. My mother, God rest her soul, lived to 89 and a half. She had dementia, again, the last two years of life. So I'm looking at how genes play a role in longevity. And someone told me that was 37% of, of, of genetics helps us with our longevity. Everything else is lifestyle and the things that we look that, that promote our health. So living longer is really a goal, I hope, I think, of many, many Americans. But it's not only living longer, but having good quality life. So one of my patients said, listen, I don't want to live to 100 if it, at 80 I'm drooling and don't know what's going on. I don't want that to happen. So it's really the quality of the years that you have left. So how do you postpone and shorten that ultimate decline in your brain and your body function? How do you postpone that as long as possible? And I tell my patients that the goal of old age, hopefully, is to have a good brain and no pain as long as possible. You know, you, people talk about anti-aging. I said, you can't, you can't anti-age. I mean, in other words, how do you stop aging? You die, right? So how do you slow down it or how do you decrease the amount of time of your disability before you die? You minimize or shorten that. So the topic of aging, particularly healthy aging, how can we achieve a long, vital, healthy life as long as possible is a theme for this, this month's show. Lots of books are written about it, lots of studies. And I always try to find things that will stick with me that are more relevant to what I do so I can share that with my patients. And one of the things that I, I, I'm fascinated with is really American presidents because I spent nine years at the White House before retiring from the Navy, moving to Scottsdale, being with the Mayo Clinic, and then going into private practice. And I think of last November of 2018, we lost the first American president I ever took care of at the White House, and that was former President George Herbert Walker Bush. He passed away last November at 94. Now, what was it about this former president, this former patient of mine, that allowed him to live that long? So for many years, there were lots of observations about the American president. Everyone's fascinated by presidents. They'll, they'll do the before and after pictures, the pictures of them when they start office, and the pictures four years later and eight years later. And one of the things the press likes to point out is the amount of gray hair, the baldness, the wrinkles. 
And for so long, people would say there were lots of uh, pundits out there saying that being in the White House, being present, forced you to age faster, as evidenced by wrinkles and gray hair. And someone even postulated that presidents age two years for every one year they spend in the White House. But our special guest today on our show shattered those assumptions, assumptions using historical data to prove the opposite. Then, in fact, using statistical analysis, our guests that we're going to have on this show today demonstrated that most presidents have actually lived longer than other people, other men, their age. So that's one of the things I'm excited to share today. I'm excited because our guest today that who's calling in from Chicago is Dr. Stuart J. Olshansky. Let me give you his bio. He's an amazingly talented individual. Dr. Olshansky received his PhD in sociology at the University of Chicago in 1984. He is professor in the School of Public Health at the University of Illinois, Chicago, research associate at the Center on Aging at the University of Chicago, and at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. He is chief scientist at Lapidus Solutions Incorporated. His research focuses on estimates of the upper limits to human longevity, the pursuit of the scientific means to slow down aging in people, and the global implication of, of infectious and parasitic diseases. Dr. Olshansky is on the board of directors of the American Federation of Aging Research. He's the author of the book, The Quest for Immortality, Science of the Frontiers of Aging, and he is the author of A Measured Breath of Life. He has authored many articles and publications. He's a guest speaker at many symposiums. You've seen him on television being interviewed about aging and longevity. He's truly the guru about longevity. So I've been so gracious to call in from Chicago. We were going to have him in the studio, but they've got a snowstorm headed his way. So this was the safest way to bring him in studio. So I want to thank Dr. Olshansky for being our guest today. Can you hear us, Dr. Olshansky? I, I can hear you fine. Thanks for having me on, Connie. I'm honored and delighted. I, I was so grateful in 2011 when I read your article in the paper, uh, how you refuted what other people had said about presidential aging, and you totally blew them away. Can you share for the next few minutes about what you, you told the public about that in 2011 about presidential aging? Yeah, um, actually, it's an interesting story because I was watching television. President Obama was in Chicago celebrating his 50th birthday, and there was a physician on saying, oh, yeah, we all know that presidents age at twice the normal rate. And I said, well, I do research in the field of aging, and I don't know that that's true. Mm -hmm. so, so I basically um, analyzed the data. I mean, there aren't, haven't been that many presidents. Um, so I looked back and, uh, and compared how long they actually lived with how long people uh, the same age uh, lived, you know, when they were, when the presidents were inaugurated, and it was a bit shocking, and I actually didn't really know what to expect when the analysis began, but it, if you look at the data, what you discover is that two of every three of the, of the U.S. presidents that died from natural causes actually lived longer, and many of them significantly longer than the average duration of life. Um, people in that era and it's interesting the first the first i think it's uh eight presidents right. of the u.s had an average life expectancy of almost 80 years during a time in which life expectancy in the united states was about 40 exactly they so either they died in childhood right. now, of course in order yeah. to become president you had to make it to a certain age right. to begin with so there's some selection going on but but still to make it to that age is absolutely remarkable. The bottom line was 
presidents do not age at twice the normal rate. It was simply not true. The, the fact of the matter is, is that they live much longer than one would ordinarily expect for somebody born in their era. And we're going to pause for a little break. We're going to come back in about three minutes, Dr. Olshansky from Chicago, because I want to query you a little bit more about why American presidents live so long, but most important, what can we as mere mortals and American citizens and anybody else can learn from them so that we can live long, healthy, vital lives. So stay tuned, everybody, on Dr. Connie's House Calls with Dr. J. Olshansky, expert on aging. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back, everybody, to the first show we have of 2019. I am honored to have 
as our special guest. Calling in is Dr. Jay Olshansky, PhD, professor in the School of Public Health at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Dr. Olshansky is an expert on aging. He's written many articles, and, and what draw, drew my attention to him was in 2011, he came out with an article where he looked at data and statistics to refute the theory that American presidents' lives were cut short by being in the White House. And I always believe if you don't get killed in office or, you know, you, you, people don't kill you in office, one of the perks of the presidency is you tend to live longer than the people who voted you into office. And so Dr. Olshansky proved that with data looking at American presidents. And one of the things I look for is now, having taken care of three American presidents, what can we learn from them that can allow us to live longer? And I'm planning to write a book this year. I need to do that among the things to do is I believe there are 11 secrets that allow these presidents to live longer and what we need to do adopt them, these habits or these special secrets to enjoy a vital and healthy life as long as possible. And one of the things that I've seen in the White House that when someone becomes president, you have teams of people who are motivated to ensure your your mortality, that you live, that you don't die in office. God forbid, we have 25th Amendment, we have all of these. You have a Secret Service detail who protects you around the clock against assassination. You're given a team of physicians and nurses and medics, etc., who follow you 24-7 to ensure you don't die of sudden death. There's a whole team of people who are motivated to keep you alive. So that's the goal. And we're talking to Dr. Olshansky, who is an expert on aging and the demographics. And I was asking, I was wondering, Dr. Olshansky, from your research, you've said, you mentioned there were some very exciting things about aging studies and aging research. Can you share that with our audience today? Sure. Uh, there's a lot happening. Um, look, uh, the, you know, the first issue, by the way, with regard to longevity uh, among the presidents is that there is, they've all been a very highly selected subgroup of the population. They've all, almost all of them have been highly educated. Uh, almost all have been wealthy. Um, if all of us had uh, access to the to the wealth and the access to the health care that the presidents had, many of us would do a lot better mm-hmm. uh, than we're doing now. Right now, um, short of that, of course, I can tell you that there's a lot of exciting work going on now in the world of aging. That, and I will tell you, a few years ago, I would not have said this, but today I feel fairly comfortable saying that I believe the world of aging science or aging biology is on the verge of a breakthrough that has the potential to slow the biological process of aging. And what does that mean exactly? It means that it may take uh, 80 years to become 60 hmm. or 70 years to become 50. Mm-hmm. In other words, we can slow down that process and experience youthful vigor for a long time period. And there's various research pathways that scientists are pursuing, various compounds that are being tested, and the initial science that's coming out is very promising uh, and very exciting. And I think most of the listeners that uh, that are you know that are listening to this call right now are probably going to benefit from this technology in their lifetime. Now. You know, we talked a little bit about genetics. How much of genetics plays a role? You'd mentioned your mom and dad living into their 90s. You're very similar age to me, and my parents close to 90. But how much of that can you count on, hopefully, your genetics? Yeah, it's a complicated question. I, I know you said early on it was 37% genetics and 63% lifestyle. I wish it was that simple. Yeah. Um, if you ask me what the 
uh, you know, the number one thing that we could do to ensure a long life, it would be to choose long-lived parents. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be absolutely number one. You, you have no chance of living a long life unless you inherited the genes that are associated with exceptional longevity. So that's rule number one. But keep in mind, even people that inherit genes that are associated with longevity can die early. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortening life is easy. We actually do that all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't exercise. We become obese. We smoke cigarettes. We do things that are harmful uh, to, our, to our bodies, and we shorten our lives. If you don't do that, if you avoid all of the harmful behavioral risk factors, uh, and you allow uh, nature to take its course, uh, then some segment of the population, you know, roughly 5 to 10% of the population, has potential to live out past 100. But beyond that, uh, genetics is probably the most powerful force, and the longer you live, the more powerful genetics is in influencing duration of life. Now, having said that, is there something you can do now? Uh, absolutely. Probably the only equivalent of a fountain of youth that exists today is exercise. It's, it's like an oil lube and a filter for your car. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it, but it makes your car operate more efficiently. You don't have to exercise, but when you do, it makes the mind and body function more efficiently for a longer time period. What's the best exercise? And that's exercise? really all we're trying to do in yeah. the world of science. Right. And medicine and aging biology is to prolong the period of healthy life. No one is trying to achieve life extension without health extension right. accompanying it. Amen to that. So for exercise, what, what do you usually find in your studies? Is, is there a, the best type? Is it just walking, jogging, isometrics? Is there any particular exercise that works the best? Well, um, so the rule of thumb is whatever exercise you like to do, okay. uh, that's the exercise you should Shopping? Be doing because <laughs> if you're forced to do something you don't like to do, chances are you're going to stop doing it. Right. Uh, so for some people, it can be walking. For some people, uh, elliptical, running. Look, I was a runner myself mm-hmm. uh, up until about five, six years ago when I had some problems with my back and I replaced it with walking and, and elliptical. But but uh, it, 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 if you do nothing more than, right. than gardening uh, or moving around, it's absolutely yeah. critical to not be horizontal right. for long time periods. The older you get, um, the more you want to avoid being horizontal laying down. You want to be physically active. It's, it's an extraordinarily powerful force. And what's interesting about exercise is the benefits are instantaneous. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait a week. You don't have to wait a month for the benefits. The benefits are that day. And it's both physical and mental benefits associated with exercise. So the bottom line is, whatever you like to do, that's the exercise that's best for you. Somebody once mentioned that sitting and being sedentary is the new smoking as a risk factor. So, you know, get off your butt, get moving, get, you know, and you're right. It's got to be something that you enjoy. You can't be forced to do it. You've written so many things and articles and they're just wonderful. One of the things you talk about is one of your viewpoints is from lifespan to health span. Can you talk a little bit more about health span, what you call the red zone that you're trying to compress? Yes. Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. So this is an interesting phenomenon. So think about it. Um, you know, 100 years ago, life expectancy in the United States was about 50. Today it's about 80. So we gained about 30 years in life expectancy. One of the consequences of that huge benefit 
was the rise of heart disease, cancer, stroke, and stroke and Alzheimer's. In other words, a series of diseases that are expressed in later regions of the lifespan. So the rise of many of these diseases are not our fault. It's a consequence of surviving into age windows where these diseases have an opportunity to be expressed. So we got what we wanted. We got exactly what we wanted. We reduced infectious diseases. We brought down early age mortality. We saved children. We got to live full lives. Almost everyone today in the United States will make it past the age of 65. The vast majority of the population will. So we got what we wanted, but the price that we had to pay were these other diseases that were cropping up at, at older ages. And the fear that some of us have is that if we focus in only on those diseases alone, as if those diseases are operating independent of each other, we may run into problems. In other words, a, a cure for cancer, as much as I would like to see that happen, would add about three to three and a half years to life expectancy, but it may expose the saved population to an elevated risk of Alzheimer's mm -hmm. disease. Mm -hmm. So life extension without health extension is harmful in our modern era. And we suggested in this paper that the time has arrived to now begin focusing our attention on the underlying biological process of aging that influences the expression of these diseases in the red zone. These are time periods in our life when frailty and disability rise exponentially, and our goal is to compress that red zone into a much shorter duration of time near the end of life and prolong the period of, uh, of uh, healthy, uh, vigorous life early on. So you talked about exercise as one of the things that, that really makes a difference with, with keeping as healthy as long as possible. How about diet? Any, you know, I've read things about people doing semi-starvation diets and fasting. Do, have you seen any benefits with that? I know they use it in mouse models and things like that. Yeah, um, so some of the early studies of what, what was called caloric restriction, reduced caloric intake, um, have not really demonstrated life extension, although there's some um, evidence to suggest that it might uh, improve health and, and quality of life. So most of us would, in fact, benefit if we could reduce our, our uh, uh, caloric intake. The risk of a broad range of uh, diseases would decline. There's all kinds of other problems associated with the rise of obesity. Um, both among adults uh, and children that have yet to play themselves out. But, yeah, sure, there are clearly dietary factors that can influence your uh, health and quality of life. And those, uh, you know, the benefits of a proper diet mixed with exercise are, are instantaneous. They really happen the day in which you make those modifications. I, I'll tell you one interesting story. Mm -hmm. For decades, I experienced heartburn. Mm -hmm. Didn't really know why. Um, and I went on a... I, I modified my diet in a particular way to try and figure out what it was that was causing it. And I was able to eliminate my heartburn in about three days. And I've really not had heartburn ever since I, I did this several years ago. And it was, it was simply listening to my body. Mm -hmm. I mean, your body tells you what you should and should, should not be doing. And, and I know some physicians will say, well, if you've got heartburn, take antacid. Right, right. Well, really, what you should be doing is figuring out what's causing the heart, heartburn and stop doing it. Right. And it really, for me, it really involved eating or avoiding eating certain foods at certain times of the day. Mm. And for mm. different people, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary, but it's remarkable 
how little we listen to our own bodies when it's talking when it's talking to us and telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing. You know, that's so true. A lot of people say, well, just give me a pill. I'll take care of that. And, you know, I, I, I hear my diabetics, and I know their study came out about metformin because I have lots of patients who want supplements or trying various things and vitamins and supplements. And one of the things that came out was metformin because people were touting that, which they use in diabetes to keep the blood sugar stable. And there apparently was a study that showed that the people who are diabetics lived longer on metformin, but people who didn't have diabetes who took it also tended to live longer. Do you see studies where, you know, they recommend any particular type of supplements or antioxidants or um, anything? Well, so you're describing what's called the TAME trial. This mm-hmm. is a, a trial that actually is about to be initiated probably sometime later this year by some researchers in New York. And uh, I'll just tell you a secret. Um, there is now evidence to suggest that metformin, which of course is being used to treat diabetes, may have uh, uh, general generalized effects on aging. Mm. In other words, we think people that are taking metformin uh, are living longer because they're experiencing a deceleration in the rate of biological aging. Mm. So when I was mentioning to you earlier mm-hmm. various research pathways that scientists are pursuing, one of them is metformin, mm. uh, the possibility of slowing uh, aging. Uh, through this particular drug. Now, if you're asking if there's other pharmaceuticals out there now or nutritional supplements, no, there's not, <laughs> excuse me, there's much evidence, excuse me, to suggest that uh, nutritional supplements will have any significant impact on uh, duration of life, and I'd be uh, reluctant to take certainly any of the fat-soluble vitamins in large quantities. Right. Um, but, uh, no, I, you know, really uh, maintaining a proper diet works much more effectively, uh, honestly, than, uh, than popping a pill. Right. Um, so, no, I, I, really, I don't see anything along those lines right now. There is no anti-aging medicine that exists today in spite of a, mm-hmm. an industry that claims to have, <coughs> excuse me, discovered the secret to the fountain of youth. So, no, it's not there yet, but we're getting close, and metformin is... is um, one of the first compounds that's being evaluated as having properties to slow the biological process of aging. So it's interesting that you would be mentioning that because you've got your finger right on the pulse of one of the uh, uh, areas of research that's uh, now ongoing in our field. One of the things that, as I think of longevity, it might have been about 15 years ago, Dan Butner wrote the book about blue zones, and he talked about populations that where they had more centenarians. And I was always fascinated. People made it to 100, but it were still vital. And one of the things that they noted, it was in places like Sardinia, Costa Rica, Okinawa, and he looked at all the factors. And one of the things that keeps cropping up is the Mediterranean diet, because you talk about diet you know, and having red wine and, and, and just the, the type of diet, not as much red meat. Once again, you see diet as, as a factor, too, don't you? It is, um, although I'd be cautious about that. Uh, so first of all, the, the, the blue zones are real. Mm-hmm. There are subgroups of the population that do live very long lives. If you were to transport those people to the West, uh, chances are they would experience the mortality risk uh, or survival prospects of uh, what we experience here in the United States, which tells you there's something else going on. If, now, while I agree that the Mediterranean diet is, uh, is probably one of the best diets out there, and, and I actually have adopted 
a largely Mediterranean diet um, myself, mm-hmm. um, at least as frequently as I can. Um, just because we adapt a Mediterranean diet does not mean we're going to live as long as the uh, Okinawans mm-hmm. from Japan or the Sardinians right. uh, from Italy or the folks who live in Icaria. Um, it's, it doesn't work that, that way, and I, I wish it was, was that simple. Most of those people are living that long for genetic reasons. Right. Those were genetically right. isolated populations for a very long time. Some of them have very specific genes that are associated with their exceptional longevity. And I would tell, will tell you, by the way, that one of the interesting areas of research is to discover what those genes are and exactly how they work and how they operate to uh, extend the period of healthy life in these individuals so that we may be able to develop a pharmaceutical mm-hmm. that mimics the effect of those genes for the rest of us. Absolutely. So it's just another area uh, of uh, interesting research that's ongoing uh, today to study these uh, blue zones and the people that live there. But, uh, and, you know, asking these people what their secret mm-hmm. is is not one of my favorite questions. <laughs> it's sort of like asking uh, Michael Jordan, yeah. what's your secret to growing six foot seven? <laughs> um, you know, he, he'll probably say eating macaroni and cheese. Exactly. And really, he has no clue why he grew to six foot seven, and these centenarians yeah. often have very harmful lifestyles. Good Many of them smoked. Yeah. Um, look, the, lo- the longest lived person in the world, uh, Jean Calmon, lived for 122 yeah. years. She smoked for 100 of them. Yeah, there he goes. Now, we're we're going to take yep. a little break, and then we'll be back to talk more about aging with Dr. J. Olshansky. So stay tuned. <laughs> Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. You can like and comment on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Facebook page. This is the place to get and share advice from some of the best leaders on the planet. Get started today by searching for Voice America Empowerment or click the like button under the player today. 
tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. I'm really fortunate to have as our guest on our first show, Dr. Jay Olshansky, Ph.D., professor in the School of Public Health, University of Illinois, Chicago, who's calling in. And we're going to wrap up this last part of our, our show because we've been talking about aging, longevity, how we can live long, healthy, active lives. And I started off by talking about the American presidents and how people originally had thought for years that being president shortened your lifespan. And Dr. Olshansky proved through his research in 2011, proved that American presidents actually live longer than most of the people vote them into office. And they, they've enjoyed good health because they're, again, a highly selective group of individuals. They're all educated. They all have access to money. They're wealthy. And becoming president, there's a whole team of people who really focus on your survival. But one of the things we talked about is, you know, our lives are stressful. Everyone has stress, and people think, well, try to imagine the stress of the American president. How do they handle it? Why is it? Why doesn't it shorten their lives? If you don't get killed in office, if you're not assassinated, why do these guys, why, what makes them so resilient? And having observed uh, the, the end of George Herbert Walker Bush's presidency, I was his Navy doctor then, all President Clinton's, and then I was with President W. Bush for about six months, but had turned over my successor. I'm really uh, more or less a Clintologist, meaning that I, I know Bill Clinton the best as his physician. And Dr. Oshansky asked me one of the things that, you know, how did he handle it? And I think he, he had the ability to compartmentalize that things can be going on in the press, in the world, in the Oval Office, and he didn't really let it get it to him. I mean, I could see him, he could play cards with his friends, but still he would block that off and say, I don't want to focus on that, I'm going to focus on this. He had a team of really close friends, his his inner circle, who would support him and bolster him, had a great sense of humor, and it was really his attitude. It really was his attitude towards life in general, that kept him going. I think I've, I've always been amazed among presidents because I, I believe the number one secret of these folks who live long is their purpose. They are so purpose-driven that life is a campaign. They're focused on a mission. They're, they're always doing something. In my own father's life, he was a poor guy, Filipino guy, grew up in the Philippines, dirt poor, but every day he had something to do had a reason for being there, had mission-driven. So if your number one purpose, you know, you've got a purpose to be there, I think that really forces you to hang in there. And looking at presidents, how they deal with stress, they always had a way of looking at and realizing, oh, this will pass, okay? I can handle this, this will pass. Dr. Oshansky, you've worked with a lot of VIP CEOs of insurance companies. Have you? What have you seen among those individuals, how they handle stress? Uh, well, much the same way. Boy, I was really glad to hear hear that uh, and to hear that level of detail. So uh, let me tell you what what I found, um, because I've been I've been giving presentations to the CEOs of many of these companies for years, and the one thing I discovered, uh, aside from the one observation that you had, which is they compartmentalize very very well, and they're able to disassociate from some of these. Uh, harmful things that are going on or difficult things or stressful things going on in their life is that they do one thing and one thing better than anyone else that I've ever met. And that is 
they have the ability to listen. Many of them have told me, um, look, Jay, I don't really learn anything when I'm talking, so I, I try to shut up as much as possible, mm -hmm. and I try to listen to the people uh, around me. And if you ask me what the one secret is to, to, to being a successful, high-functioning uh, executive like that, it would be the ability to listen and process information very rapidly. And I would imagine that's exactly what you saw uh, among the presidents and what we see probably among any of these individuals that are operating in high-stress uh, circumstances. So I was really glad to hear your insight uh, in this because it, it reaffirms the, the uh, image that I have of what's going on with these folks and how they can operate. Now I'll tell you that even though they may be high-stress, um, you can expect their hair, hair to get gray or fall out mm -hmm. and their, their skin to wrinkle. And, you know, if you took a photograph of anybody eight years apart, right. 50 to 58, 46 to 54, you're going to see some pretty notable differences, whether you're president or not. Exactly. And I know a lot of people saw that in President Obama, you know, the graying of his hair very rapidly, and they said, oh, yeah, it's because of high stress and and uh, and rapid aging. I said, no. No. <laughs> he just has the ability to to uh, to deal with stress much more effectively, and the graying of the hair and the wrinkling of the skin is what happened. Would have happened had he <laughs> not been president. Well, I, I tell people I look at my pictures with President Clinton at the start of his presidency, and at the end, and we both have aged. So that's hey, we both age. So <laughs> I'm not in the Oval Office, but we we both age. And but you know, stress is just part of life, and it's the way these guys handle it. It's like bring it on. I can. I mean, you wouldn't be there if had you not fought many battles, meeting making it to the top of your field to do that well, and they're just I think used that, to it. That may be in part what separates them um, from the rest of us and what separates some of these other high functioning executives from the rest of us is, is the ability to deal with uh, information effectively, uh, to really listen carefully to the people around you, to process that information uh, swiftly. But then, like you said, and I, I, I think this is a really keen um, insight is the ability to to separate out yourself from these events that are happening uh, around you, just to, uh, just to, to realize that you have uh, control over uh, that environment. I mean, otherwise, you, know, you put most people in the stressful environment of a presidency or being a CEO, and it's going to be very difficult for many people to handle that. But uh, the ones that do it successfully, I think follow the pattern that you've identified in the presidents that you've uh, you've taken care of. You know, it's amazing. You bring up that secret about listening well. And in this day and age where people talk over each other, and if one person talks, the other one is preparing their response because they're not even listening. And one of the things I like doing when I see my patients, I, I block, I, I have the luxury, but I have CEOs who I block 90 minutes for their visits. And I just sit and I listen. And it's amazing because people are able to share things and you can really learn so much without judging or trying to talk over them. And, and I think if people try to just listen and draw in and think about it instead of reacting, and there's, you know, when people tweet and they retort, it's like, you're not thinking, you're responding, you're not reflecting, you're not drawing in and listening. You know, one of the things that I think that, that accelerates dementia, they say, is hearing loss. And my friends who are audiologists say, oh, yeah, well, they, I'm trying to think the number is 40, 30% increase in accelerated dementia in people who cannot hear. 
and they don't listen, but they can't. They tune out, and being tuned out, not tuned in the environment, will accelerate the dementia. And in the end, I think it's brain health. You know, you can make it biologically to ninety and look good, but if your brain's not there, I mean, what's your quality of life? You know, living yeah, at all. Exactly. I mean, if you if if you can, I think it's about fifteen percent, roughly fifteen percent of the U.S. population makes it out past the age of eighty-five with their mind and their body fully intact. There's a, a group at uh, Northwestern University that study what are called super-agers. Mm-hmm. These are all people over the age of 80 that are cognitively functioning at the level of a 50-year-old. It's absolutely remarkable to be in a room with them because it's, I feel like I'm in a room with a, a bunch of my students. Isn't that amazing? You know, they're all actively engaged, uh, yeah. pulling out their phones and playing games and doing whatever it is that you, know, that you see everyone else doing at younger ages. So it is possible to make it out uh, to these older ages with your mind and body intact, but it does take some work. Parts of it are within your control, and parts are not. So recognizing, of course, what you can control, that at the for, for now anyway would be diet and exercise. Right. Absolutely. Um, if you ask me what's top of the list, aside from choosing long-lived healthy Right. It would be uh, exercise and um, um, uh, a diet based on moderation. One of the things that somebody had brought up to me as well is is association with younger people, with youth. And the old family, the old families used to be that when you aged, you aged at home with your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. And I think you have the advantage. You teach the young. I have patients who are young, and it keeps you on your toes to be around younger people. You know, it's interesting. Um, there was an old Italian noble from, I think it was the 16th century, who, Luigi Cornaro, who suggested uh, that his uh, youthful vigor was associated with being around younger people. Now, back then, centuries ago, their belief was that if you just inhaled mm-hmm. the exhaled air <laughs> from younger people, you were somehow picking up whatever youthful magic that existed within their bodies. This, this view has been held for a long time. And actually, there's some truth to it. Um, Breath of youth. People, uh, there have been some studies that have, uh, have uh, compared uh, older individuals that have been connected with younger individuals in a school system. For example, they may be reading to the students or interacting in some particular way. And not only do the students do better mm-hmm. when they're interacting with uh, people of their uh, grandparents' age or sometimes great-grandparents' age, but the older individuals themselves mm-hmm. do much better when they're around younger people. It's not because they're eating the exhaled air from the <laughs> kids. Um, there's a lot of other social factors that are going on that are influencing this, but you're absolutely right. Uh, being around younger people seems to work. Um, there's no question it has a powerful influence on health and quality of life of, of older individuals. One of the things I, we talk about presidents that I really believe they, they live longer, they're motivated, is I call it the bully pulpit, that when a former president speaks, everybody listens. They are accorded that respect. And I see so many of my patients who at the end of their time as president, they retire, they die. They just, nobody listens to me. I, in fact, one of my ladies who's 88, who lives in a retirement community says, no, but, you know, my kids don't call me. I really don't matter anymore. But American presidents have a library. They have a library. They go to people, you know, want to know. They have that importance to society. And it, I think that's very valuable to being one, wanting to be around longer. Yeah, so there's a term for this. Um, these people are called 
PIPS, P-I-P, <laughs> which means previously important person. Right, right. And uh, once you become a PIP, uh, using that language, um, some suggest that people decline uh, fairly rapidly. In other words, they move from a position of importance to one of much less importance where people don't listen to them anymore. They, they don't have the same level of gravitas that they, that they had before. And I think that's what you're pointing out here. And, and you're right, of course. Previous presidents do have this gravitas that they carry with them throughout their lives. And in other countries, uh, there is a gravitas that's mm-hmm. associated with being older. Right. In, uh, Japan, in certain yeah. parts of Asia, for example, uh, you know, there's a special name mm-hmm. for older individuals mm-hmm. that when you use the term, mm-hmm. you revere this individual because they've, they've made it to this older age and they have some level of authority uh, to their opinion. Everybody listens to what they have to say because they, they know by history, through history, uh, you know, wh- how to live your life, what you should and shouldn't be doing in your society. Um, these elders uh, in some societies are, are absolutely revered, and younger people aspire to be like them. In other parts of the world, when you become a PIP, um, you run into problems very, very rapidly. So you're right. If somehow we could maintain that level of, of importance, whether it's self-perceived or you can get your family to... Uh, you know, to, to hopefully treat you differently um, with a greater level of gravitas and importance. I think that that can have a very powerful influence uh, on the quality of life of these older individuals. That is so true, is to revere the, as as you age, you, you increase in the number of people who revere you because of your value. Well, the time is short now, and we're going to have to wrap it up, Dr. Oshansi. Thank you so much for being on our show, for your wisdom and, and all the things you've helped us with, and I want the audience out there to go out and and uh, revere the people who are older, and because I think a lot of ways they're wiser, and also listen to each other, because I think that's much better for you and people around you that you accord them the respect and and to listen in. So I'm hopefully I'm hopeful that you will listen in next month on Dr. Connie's house calls. And again, thank you, Dr. Oshansky, for calling in today. And all of you have a wonderful month, and we'll talk to you next month. God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.